Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Lord God, I do thank you so much for this uh, morning, for this opportunity, and for this privilege that we enjoy here to be able to gather together to open up your word um, and to praise you through our song and study and prayer. Lord, I do just continue to hold up the, the people of Israel. Lord, I know that you are sovereign over all that is going on, and I trust you 100%, Lord. But my heart breaks, Lord, for those who are caught up in a war that they uh, didn't want any part of, Lord. And uh, please, Lord, I just pray for those who are um, huddled in, in shelters, Lord, unable to even mourn the loss of loved ones, Lord God, I pray for your guidance for the Israeli leaders as they went in Saturday or prepared to go in on their ground force attack again of Hamas, Lord, to try and take back their hostages, Lord, and to break down the um, terror uh, organization that's going on. Lord, please, I pray, give them guidance. Lord, protect the innocents, those who are being used as human shields at this point, Lord, please. Lord, your hand on them as well. Lord, I just pray... Lord, I know that, that you are in this. I know that you're in control, that you have not, uh, that, you, that you do not sleep nor slumber. Uh, Lord, how long, Lord? How long? I thank you, Lord, and I pray for your blessing again this morning on this service here. Use me this morning as your tool, Lord, as we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, gang, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23 this morning. We're in the end here. We're coming up on the end. We're in the last final days of Jesus's ministry and life here on earth as he's been teaching in the temple day after day, being accosted by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians and the chief priests and, and anybody else that has a problem with Jesus because he's there challenging their position um, and Jesus be, just keeps answering back and answering back and challenging them as well. Last week we saw that Jesus speaks to them through another parable, the parable of the wedding feast. And he reminds the chief priests and the Pharisees that the, the Jews themselves were the first invited guests to the wedding, he says, but they were unwilling to come. They rejected the invitation. They rejected Jesus, the very one that they were waiting for. The Messiah, who had, they had been waiting for their whole lives, was standing right in front of them. And rather than to recognize him as such, they rejected him flat out. No thank you. Jesus then goes on to tell them in this parable that from that point on, the, the invitation was now being extended to all who would accept it. And notice I didn't say to the Gentiles. Because there were many Jews who received that invitation and did accept it and did believe and did follow Jesus. And then it would also be extended out to anyone else who would accept the invitation to the wedding feast. Jesus also made the point of saying that there will be those who think that they can come to the wedding feast dressed in their own garments. And we talked about last week how that meant that rather than accept the righteous robe of Jesus Christ, which was required, they would come in their own garments and sit down at the feast expecting their own garments to be good enough to allow them to stay in the feast. And Jesus says, no, the, the, the host will come and say, why did you reject the robe that I offered you? And it says the man would be speechless. We looked at last week. That meant that he gave excuses or reasons, but that he was put to silence. And then the host of the feast said that he should be bind, bind, bounded, bound, tied up and thrown out into utter darkness. The reference to that you think, if you think that you can come into the wedding feast of heaven and sit down in your own garments based on your own efforts and your own work, that the Lord himself will come to you and say, why aren't you dressed in the righteous robe of my son, Jesus Christ? Now be gone. Remember, he said that those who were invited were found to be unworthy, meaning weighed 
and found wanting. The only way to enter into that feast, he says, is through the righteous robe of my son, Jesus Christ, which is extended to all who would accept it. That's amazing. That's an amen right there. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) All right, chapter 23. This is the last part of Jesus, his last public message. This is it, his last public message. Now, he's going to have a couple of more talks with his disciples, which we get to sit in on. But as far as his public ministry goes, this is it. He's going to end it with uh, chapter 23. And so it says in 23 that he spoke to the multitudes um, and to the disciples. It's interesting to me that it says that he, it mentions multitudes. Before we had multitude, a multitude, and then we had a great multitude, and now we have multitudes. You imagine that Jesus isn't probably the only guy who's preaching in the courtyard of the temple, right? But all these other people are maybe listening to this guy over here, and they keep looking over, and they're like, what the, what's the crowd over there? And so now he's not just got a multitude, but he's got multitudes, of people who are now listening. And now he's speaking to these multitudes and to his disciples who are gathered there. And he says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. This is very interesting. In Greek, what it says is they have sat themselves in the seat of Moses. The Pharisees have sat themselves in the seat of Moses. You know what that means? They gave themselves authority over the people. Do you know that God didn't give Pharisees authority over the people? They took it upon themselves. It's based on the fact that they felt like they had studied a lot and they knew a lot. And so since they were the smart studied ones, as we saw from their very brilliant answer of, we don't know, to Jesus's question, they've placed themselves in a position of authority. Jesus says they've sat down in the seat of Moses. So Jesus says, therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. And what he says is, look, okay, they've sat themselves down in the position of authority. When they teach you the word of God, do that. Meaning, what is the authority in the life of any person? The word of God. So when they teach you that, do that. But when they teach you other than that, Don't do that because they're outside of the word. And by the way, they don't even do what it is that they're telling you to do. The only authority in a person's life is the word of God. You know what's really interesting is who is the word of God? John says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is the word of God. So in our lives, who is the authority? Me. Oh, no, see, that, see, that's where they all got confused. The Pharisees were like, we're the authority. And actually, God says, no, they're not the authority. The word of God is the authority. When they teach you the word of God, obey that, observe that. But this other stuff that they're telling you to do, don't do that. Because they don't even do that, is what, they're, what he says to them. Then look at this. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. He says, they're laying burdens on you with all of these extra understandings of the word of God and all these additional laws that they're putting on. They're laying all of these heavy burdens. You must do this. You must do this. You can't do this. You can't do that. You must do this and this and this and this. And Jesus says, they're not even doing those things. It's actually in such contrast to what Jesus said himself. He says, listen, this is Matthew. You remember this. Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. Again, this is Jesus speaking. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, that's later. (laughs) We'll come back to that one. (laughs) I think I covered up my note. Oh, no, here it is. This is what Jesus says. In contrast to the burdens, 
Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, and I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. They were laying on heavy burdens that they weren't bearing themselves. Jesus said, my burden is light. My take on my yoke, it's easy. It's not that the it's not that it's easy. It's that you're yoked to Jesus who is bearing the burden. I have a quote here that says that a true leader in the church directs people into freedom and closer relationship with Jesus, not into bondage to their, their own beliefs. A good leader, a leader in the church leads someone into freedom and relationship with Christ, not burdens. He goes on and he says, but all of their work they do to be seen by men. What is their motivation for what they do? To please God? No, to please men. They do everything they do, and he's going to go through a bunch of it now for the sake of other people seeing it and saying, oh man, they are so righteous. I could never be as righteous as those guys who've put themselves into position of authority. All of their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. Okay, so Jesus is going to start to go through and show you how they do certain things in order to seem holy and righteous, but really it was to be seen by other people as holy and righteous. So they said that they make their phylacteries broad. So a phylactery, in case you didn't know, was like this little leather box that they would write scripture in, and then they would bind it to their arm right here, right? So it was like a little black leather box, and they would put scripture in that box, and they would bind it to their arm with this straps all down their arm so that when they held their Bibles like this, this box was right next to their heart, okay? And then they would pray. And then they also had one that they would bind a similar box. It had four little compartments in it, and they put scripture in each one, and they would tie it right to their forehead right here, so they would have a leather box tied to their, their forehead and tied to their arm, and it had scripture in it, okay? And so what this is saying is that these guys, in order to seem extra holy and really, really righteous, is they were making them not just little boxes, but big boxes. So they would have this like shoe box on their head with scripture, because the bigger the phylactery, the more righteous you were. Now, that is a very interesting thing with the phylacteries, right? They were actually told in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, listen to what this reads. It says that... Um, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, right? That's what Jesus actually said was the first commandment when asked in the last chapter, right? So then he this says, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk with them when you sit in your homes and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be, a front, be as frontlets before your eyes. And so when they read that verse, they said, well, obviously we're supposed to tie them to our bodies, the word of God, because it says bind. Only here's the thing. The word bind is um, in Hebrew, it actually means knit together. Okay. And so rather than to look at this as a literal translation and saying, well, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to take the word of God and we're supposed to bind them literally to our bodies in these little boxes. I believe what God was saying is these words are knit together or let them be knit together. Let what be knit together? The words that he just gave you, love the Lord with all your God, with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. Let them be um, a part of everything that you do with your hands and everything that you see or think and go about your day. Let that all be knit together. These guys, by this time, had said, well, you know, if a little box is kind of righteous, then a really big one is really rel religious and holy. And since we are the self-appointed authority of religion, we should have really big boxes on our heads and really big phylacteries tied to our arms. <laughs> I, you know, I can't help thinking about this um, when I read this now, um, and I think, you know what? Have you ever um, 
Have you ever thought in your own mind, well, it's time to get a new Bible. Maybe I'll get one of them really big ones with my naming gold across. I'm like, got my Bible today. <laughs> Look at how big my Bible is. What's that, a little pocket one? Well, I have a little pocket Bible that's literally falling apart because I read it so much. <laughs> what? You go to the secondhand store and buy a worn out Bible, so everyone's like, man, that guy reads his Bible a lot. <laughs> You know what? You might fool people. You will not fool God. He will know. Now it says that the other thing that they were doing to be seen as righteous and holy is it says they made the borders of their garments wide or broadened. So here's the deal. Again, in um, Numbers, they were told this. Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garment throughout the generations to put a blue thread in the tassel of the corners and you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. And so they were given instructions that they were supposed to have on their shawls that they wore under their clothes, tassels that hung down off the corners, right? The word in here, uh, let me see, the word in wherever it is we are. Bear with me. Borders. Here in my Bible, it says they've enlarged the borders of their garments. The word in Greek is tassels. So what they were doing is they were taking, they were having the tassels as they were commanded to do, but they were making them really long. In some cases, they were dragging on the ground behind it because they were like, well, if a tassel this long means that I'm, you know, really holy and righteous, then a tassel this long means that I'm really righteous um, and so it was so that people would look at them and say, oh, man, those guys are so righteous and holy. But look at what the, the verse in, Deuter, in Numbers 15, it says, and you shall have a tassel that you may look upon it. The tassels weren't a reminder for other people to see other people's tassels, but rather for them to see them and to be reminded of the commandments of God and to do them. And that's kind of Jesus' big problem with the Pharisees is that they had these great big long tassels for everybody else to see, um, but they weren't actually doing the things that God had commanded them to do. So the purpose of the tassel was completely lost on the Pharisees that he's talking to. So they had big phylacteries and long tassels. Look at verse 6. It really, it's, it's very important that we see this. It says, they love the best places at the feasts, the best seats in the synagogues. Oh, they loved it when, when, when they would come to a feast and they would be like, oh, Rabbi, so-and-so, here, come. Here, here, sit here, sit here. And they would be like, in their minds, they're thinking, yes, this is exactly where I should sit because, well, I'm the man. I'm the guy. They loved the best seats at the feast. They loved the best seats in the synagogue. You know where the best seats in the synagogue were? Clearly not the front row. <laughs> Actually, in the synagogue, they had seats like elder seats right along the stage behind the, the lecturer. And they would actually sit and look out at the people. Now, this seem, would seem crazy to me, except for the church that I grew up in had elder seats on the stage. Now, there weren't guys sitting in them by the time I got there, but there were, at one point, elders who would sit in those chairs while the pastor was going on and on and on and on. Well, that, to me, that would be like the hardest place to sit as an elder, because you have to look interested the entire time. <laughs> they loved those seats, the best seats in the house. They loved that. It says this, again, remember, it says they love greetings in the marketplace and to be called by men, rabbi, rabbi. The word rabbi, we understand to mean teacher, but it can mean master or even great one, right? And so when they were saying rabbi, rabbi, they, they, were, they loved being called that in the marketplace, in front of all the other people. They loved being called rabbi, teacher, master, But you, he says, now he's talking to the, he's not talking exactly to the Pharisees here. Remember, he's talking to the multitudes. Do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ, 
but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Oh, wow, you know, there's a lot that we could talk about here, but this is what I kind of want to boil this down to for, for today. What he's saying is titles in themselves aren't bad. Loving the title for yourself is what he's addressing. They loved to be called rabbi. Jesus was called rabbi. He allowed it. Why? Because he was deserving of it. But he says to them, they love the titles. They love the best seats. The best seat at the feast wasn't a bad thing. Loving the best seat of the feast is the thing that he's warning them against. Being called rabbi, if that was what your title was, wasn't a bad thing. It was the loving it. I need it. That's what I'm about. I need to be called rabbi. I need that best seat. I need to sit up here at the seat of the elders. It's the love of that thing. That's why I said that at the beginning. They love this stuff. And he's like, that's what makes it bad. They love it. Their motivation for it is selfish. He says, you shall be the servant. Do you know what, what the word is for servant for us? Minister. Minister means servant. He's saying, you'll be the ministers. You'll be the servants. Do you know that Paul actually writes in Ephesians chapter 4, he goes, Christ himself called some to be pastors, some to be teachers. Do you know what the word pastor is, by the way? It's not minister. It's not servant. You know what pastor is? Shepherd. <laughs> Shepherd. Jesus says these guys love the titles because it makes them feel important, even though that they're laying burdens on the people that they're not carrying themselves. He says, don't you do that. You're all brothers. You're all sisters. Don't you do that. There's no way that you've come to this church and come to realize that I think that I'm better than all you all. You know that I am just as sinful as every single one of you and need Jesus Christ just as much as you do. There's nothing special about me other than that God said, this is where I want you. This is how I'm going to use you for now. He says, don't love it like they love it. That's where the problem comes. That's what their motivation was. They did it for the glory of men, not for the glory for God. And then he goes on, and we've heard this, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This isn't new to us. Jesus has said this a number of times. He's saying that what, the way the world operates is opposite of the way that heaven is or the way that God thinks. Now, he goes into what are called the woes in these next few verses, but woe to you. The word woe is interesting. In Hebrew, we don't have a, an English word for woe. Woe means actually, um, it's a term of, of being grieved. It's like Jesus is saying, I'm displeased with your choices. I'm displeased with your actions, but I'm grieved over it more than I'm angry. Do you understand? Which is really important to understand that because that's the character of Jesus Christ. He's saying, it's not that I'm angry at you. I'm grieved at your decision. I'm so unhappy about this, but I care. I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you this so that you can recognize it and so that maybe you can turn and change. He says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. What? Okay, so get used to that word because he's going to use it a lot in these next several verses. Hypocrite, if you're unfamiliar, just means that it's um, uh, pretending to be something that you're not. A hypocrite is someone who pretends to be something that you're not. I know you're familiar with this. You might have even said of someone, that person is such a hypocrite. Oh, they act all this way, but I know that they're really this way. And that is exactly what Jesus is saying. When I think of hypocrite, especially in the case of some of these Pharisees, I think of a duck, clearly. Because a duck on the surface, everything looks calm and cool and collected, right? But just under the surface, you got those little legs and they're going like crazy just to keep up. So they look under control. But underneath, under the surface, they are just going like crazy, trying to keep the appearance going. A duck. Hold on. A duck. <laughs> well, later, if I ask you if you're a duck, you can say yes for sure. He says, woe to you hypocrites, for you, shut up, uh, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those 
who are entering to go in. He's, he, this is his biggest problem, is people who keep other people from coming to Jesus. He's saying, by all of your rules and burdens and all these rituals and things that you've put into place, you're keeping people from coming to me. And you're not coming in yourself. So he's like, that's a woe. He goes, it grieves me that not only are you not coming, but you're stopping others from coming to me as well. I'm grieved, he says, by that. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Okay, so here's what that means. At the time, if a, um, a woman's husband died and he had not prepared any kind of a will that would include her and his property, then the Pharisees would come along and they would say, oh, let us help you out. We'll take care of you. And essentially what they would do is they would kind of devour her estate, leaving her with nothing and give it basically to the church um, and leave this poor widow with nothing. They would devour her house, devour anything that she had left to her with like a legal technicality because there was no... Um, will, they would step in under the, under the, the pretense of we're going to help you, but in actuality, they would take everything that she had. And then this other part says, and for a pretense, make long prayers. Pretense, it simply means for, the, for appearance sake. But they would stand up and make these long, elaborate, wordy prayers that meant basically nothing. Just long prayers, because obviously, the longer you pray, the holier you are. That still creeps in, you know. Sometimes that still creeps in where somebody's like, oh, I can't pray. I can't pray out loud. I, I don't know what to say. I, I, can't, I can't pray like that guy. I was like, well, maybe you shouldn't be praying like that guy. Just, just speak what's on your heart. Long, wordy prayers do not make that person more holy. It doesn't mean that God's listening to a long prayer more than he's listening to your prayers. It might be the other way. (laughs) Maybe God's saying, I got a lot of prayers to listen to. Make it short. I doubt it. Forgive me if that was... No, the, the point is that their prayers weren't substantive. They were just long for the sake of being recognized. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel the land, you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. This is, he's pointing out to them that they go to great lengths to convert one non-Jewish person to Judaism. Um, and then lay on them all of these legalistic views and beliefs. And then that person, to please them, is like, um, like super legalistic, like twice as legalistic as those who came and converted him to Judaism. And so he's like, when you go and you, you give someone all of these legalistic rituals and rules and laws that they have to follow, um, it, because they're new, they're saying, well, this is obviously the way to do it. And they're even more legalistic than the ones who came to them. And he's saying, oh, you, you will go across the world to convert one person to the thing that you believe in, this, these legalistic rules. But in, in essence, what he's saying is, and, and you're missing those who are right here, right in front of you. Woe to you, blind guides. <laughs> Who say, whoever, hang on a second, this is a long passage. When he says blind guides, it's a very interesting thing. Like, the word blind um, can simply mean they're physically blind. But obviously, we know that they're not physically blind. It can also mean mentally blind. Um, and, And actually, there's even a little part connected that says not just mentally blind, but mentally blind um, because of smoke. (laughs) Blind due to smoke. And so it's kind of like this. Have you ever gone to a campfire? Um, And you're sitting around a campfire, and uh, the smoke, the wind turns, and now the smoke is blowing right in your face, and your eyes start to um, red, get red in water, and you're just, and and now you're like, ah, the smoke is blinding me. Okay? What would you do in that case? Move! Move away from the place where the smoke is coming so that your eyes, you know, so that you're no longer blind. And what he's basically going to say to them is that they refuse to move, so they remain blinded by the smoke. Blind 
guides. Guides is obviously, he's a, a leader. He's saying, you're blinded and you're leading others in blindness. Who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. Uh, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Uh, so here was the thing, and they did this a lot. This is why they have so many laws, because they would take the word of God and it says, well, we can't bear a burden um, on the Sabbath day. So that means that you can't light a fire. But we have to eat, so in order to eat, we'll have a neighbor come over and light a fire. Uh, and so they gave themselves what's called, what we would call a loophole a way for them to still do what they needed to do without transgressing the law. Well, essentially what they're doing here is they're saying, well, if you swear by the temple, you don't have to keep that oath. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, that one you have to keep. It would be like uh, giving themselves a way of saying, well, I could swear to somebody who thinks I'm going to keep that oath, but because it's only by the temple and not the gold of the temple, I don't have to keep it. It would be like you saying, I promise, but behind your back, your fingers are crossed. It's essentially the same thing. They're saying, we're giving ourselves a way to make an oath, but not have to keep the oath. Fools and blind. Fools is a really fun word. In Greek, fools is moros, which is where we get the word moron. Moron. He says, morons and blind. For which is greater, the gold of the temple that sanctifies the gold, uh, the, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold. And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing but whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools, morons, and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift. Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. He says, you are morons because you're saying, oh, the gold is more important or more heavy in terms of responsibility than the temple itself. And ultimately what he says is really what you're doing and no matter what you swear by, you're swearing by God. So if you're going to swear by God, you got to keep it. There's no loophole here. Okay, he says, if you're going to make, a, a, if you're going to swear by the temple or swear by the altar or swear by the gold in it or whatever it is, you still are swearing by God who dwells among all of it. So you got to keep that. There's no way. There's no. There's no getting out of it. So there's no fingers crossed. But what did Jesus say before this? Now this is where we were before. Jesus says again, you have heard. It said in days of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair black or white. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. He says, look, if you're going to swear by something, you're swearing by God no matter what it is. But rather than having to swear, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Really what he's saying to them, to us, to everyone is live a life that's so filled with integrity that when you say yes, people believe it and you don't have to swear on something greater than yourself. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That means that you have to live that out so that if you say you're going to do something, you do it. If you can't do it, say, I can't do it. But don't, no, maybe, yes, I can. Or, you know, or what they were doing is like, I promise. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. But you've got you've to live out a life of integrity for people to accept that. <clears throat> Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. <laughs> okay, so this is actually true, and this is what they would do. They would have these little gardens, and they, they would sit there and they say, well, it's time to tithe. 
they count out nine mint leaves for themselves, and they would nine for me and one for God. And then they would take out these little tiny cumin seeds. They'd be like, one, two, three, four, nine for me and one for God. And he was like, for a pretense or for appearances, you're tithing of even the smallest little seed. But the weightier things, faith and justice and mercy, you're ignoring those. This is what we call in the church majoring on the minors. They were majoring on the minor things of tithing. That I'm going to give you one mint leaf out of the ten and one you know, cumin seed out of the ten. And there, I've done it. I, I've done exactly what I'm supposed to do. And, and Jesus said, but you're, you're ignoring justice and mercy and faith. The larger things, the bigger things. Then actually he says, you should do both. Yes, tithe. And don't neglect faith, mercy, and justice. Uh, then he says, because he says, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Verse 24, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Now, you have to understand, this would have made everybody just roll over laughing at this moment. Like, this was a funny saying that Jesus came up with right here. This is why I think he was just really funny. Because Jesus is, he's saying, look, you're concentrating on the little things, um, but you're letting the bigger things go by. He says, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel, which means um, the gnat would have been like the smallest unclean animal that they weren't allowed to eat. And the camel, if you didn't know this, was the largest unclean animal that they knew about, right? And Jesus says that before you drink your wine, they would pour it through a cloth to make sure they'd strained out any little bugs, especially a gnat, to make sure that they weren't eating an unclean animal. But he says, but you scarf up a camel. Um, now, literally, they weren't trying to gulp down a camel. He was making a very funny kind of ironic saying. is like, you strain out a gnat, you gulp down a camel. It's really just a funny way of saying what he had just said. You, you focus on the little minor things, um, but you don't do these big, big things. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence, meaning that they had no self-control. And Jesus says, look, I look at your cup, and on the outside, you've made it all shiny and clean. But on the inside, it's filthy, filled with corruption. He goes on and he says, blind Pharisees first clean the, cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean. Also, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. This was especially um, understood at this time right now in history because when they had a feast like Passover and we had so many people coming into town, if you were coming in to celebrate Passover and to sacrifice and you had to, um, and you accidentally touched something that had touched a dead body, you would be considered ceremonially unclean and you could not partake in the feast. So to help people to avoid that, they would take all the tombs that were lining the roads um, and they would paint them white so that there was no mistaking, don't touch this because behind this wall are dead bodies. And if you touch this wall because there's dead bodies in there, you're going to be unclean and you can't take the, you can't go through with the um, Passover celebration. You can't, set, you can't offer. So they would paint it white. At the same time, it just made it look really clean and beautiful and nice. Jesus said, you're like that. Pharisees, hypocrites, you're like that. On the outside, you look clean and shiny and white. But just below the surface, you are full of dead man's bones and corruption. He's saying there's nothing good inside you just past the surface. Everything you do, he says, is for the, the praise of men. It's not real. You're hypocrites. You're pretending. On the inside is corruption. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy 
and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up them then the measure of your father's guilt. What he says is, you say, you go out and you decorate the tombs of the prophets to honor them who have already been killed by your forefathers, he says. Your forefathers killed them, but you say, well, if we were alive then, we would never have done that. And Jesus says, you're going to be guilty of all of it because everything that those prophets who your fathers killed were pointing to me, who just in a few days you will kill. So he says, you will be filled up with the measure of it. Because, because everything they pointed to, you will destroy. You're saying, I wouldn't do that. If, if that. We wouldn't have done that. If we were alive then, we wouldn't have done that. And he says, you're guilty of worse than that. Because the one that they pointed to, you will kill. He says, serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation? He says, offspring of the serpent or offspring of the devil is what he calls them. He's he's clearly his last public message to them because he says, I'm throwing it all in. (laughs) Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, scribes. Some of them you will kill, crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. If you don't think that's true, just take a read through the the book of Acts and see that that's exactly what they did. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Um, Every time I read that, this is what I read. You will be guilty of the righteous blood from A to Z. That's what it says. From Abel to Zechariah. For all of it. You will be guilty of all of it from A to Z. You know that's where we... We, we, have a, we have a, what's that called? A saying. <laughs> um, from A to Z, it means all-encompassing, right? It encompasses everything. Do you know that I, I looked up and tried to find what the origin of that saying is from A to Z? You know what it is? Nobody knows. It's because no one wants to admit it's from right here in the Bible, from Abel to Zechariah. They're like, no, that can't be it. Like, uh, yeah, that's exactly what he's saying, from A to Z. Abel to Zechariah, you will be guilty of it. Surely I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. He's talking to those who are there that he's talking to, those Pharisees. So as we review the tragic woes from the lips of our Lord, we can see why the Pharisees were his enemies. He, He emphasized the inner man, but they were concerned with externals. He taught a spiritual life based on principles, while the Pharisees majored on rules and regulations. Jesus measured spirituality in terms of character, while the Pharisees measured it in terms of religious activities and conformity to external laws. Jesus taught humility and a sacrificial service, but the Pharisees were proud and used people to accomplish their own purposes. The holy life of Jesus exposed their artificial piety and shallow religion. But instead of coming out of the darkness, moving away from the smoke that was blinding them, the Pharisees just tried to put out the light. Guess what? They failed because he rose from the grave. More powerful than ever. Look at, we're going to finish here. Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen, gathering her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. It's such a beautiful picture. He's saying, oh, Jerusalem, oh, people of Israel, how I wanted to gather you together like a hen gathers her chicks. A hen, it's a very interesting picture because a hen will gather her chicks at the sake of her own life to save them. And Jesus is saying, oh, that I wanted to do that for you, to save you at the cost of my own life, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. 
I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's such a, I love this verse for two reasons. Number one, Jesus is speaking prophetically about what we know is promised by God to um, to the Jews, that they will all have an opportunity to be able to come and to call out to Jesus as their Messiah. One day they will recognize him as their Messiah. But this is what he spoke to me this week. It's interesting to me that you, um, this, he says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is from Psalm 118. Do you know that this is the very same thing that people were shouting when he was riding in on Palm Sunday, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I read this and I heard God say, you shouted this when I entered the city. But when you confess this, I will enter your heart and you will see me. Man, that's powerful. They shouted it when he came in. He said, when you confess it, you will see me and I will enter into your heart. So this something struck me as I read through this. Now, Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites eight times in these verses. Eight times he was grieved because he could see that they were pretending to be something they weren't. But we see the love that he has for them. How I wanted to gather you together as a hen gathers his chicks. He was not angry. He was grieved. It's easy for us to look at these guys and say, yeah, what a bunch of fakers. But friends, if Jesus were here and he was looking at you right now, would he look at you grieved and say, you're pretending to be something that you're not? Like, are you a duck this morning? Are you here and on the surface it looks like everything's going great, but under the surface your legs are going like crazy just trying to keep up the appearance of calm, cool, and collected? If that's you, if, if you're pretending, if you're here and you're pretending to be something you're not, if you're pretending to be a Christian, I would say, why don't you come down this morning and why don't you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Stop being a pretender and stop being a hypocrite and come down for the real thing. Maybe you are here and you're saved and you know that part of your life is real, but you also know that there's something going on inside that you're keeping hidden, hoping that nobody looks just below the surface. Why don't you come down? As Ashley plays this song, Have Thine Own Way. Why don't you come down and why don't you confess it before the Lord and, and be cleansed? Aren't you tired of keeping up appearances? Aren't you tired of it? If, if the Lord is speaking to you about that, if the Lord is saying, you know, you say you're a Christian, but you're not, you know you're not. Come down. If you're a believer here today, but the Lord is saying, you know there's something that's hidden in your life that you're keeping covered up, come down. You don't have to tell me. Just come down and be prayed for and confess it before the Lord. I'm just going to take a few minutes and we're going to play this song.
we do just so thank you for your word, the authority in our life, Lord. I pray that as we end our service today, Lord, that uh, you would bring opportunities to our door, as the guys talked about this morning, Lord. Remind us of the things that you've given us, that, uh, which is everything that can be used in the ministry of the kingdom of heaven, Lord. Lord, I just pray for the situation in Maine as well, the hearts that are broken, the hurt that's being felt, the doubt that has been cast into the minds of so many, Lord. But I thank you for this one man, this one faithful servant to go, when called, answering the call to go, uh, who will affect the lives of many, not just in Maine, Lord, but as we hear, will be heard around the world, Lord. What an amazing thing. So Lord, as we go out of this place today, I thank you again. And I ask your blessing on each and every person here today. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.